the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good morning and welcome to The George Show. Jimmy Sangenberger filling in again today for George Brockler right here on News Talk 710-KNUS. Good to be with you this morning at 303-696-1971. You can join in to the conversation. Just give us a call. You can also text into the show. On the 710KNUS app on your smartphone. Plus, I'm in the Twitterverse. You can tweet at me, 24-7-365. I'm at Sang Center. That's Sang with an E, not an A, Center on Twitter. You can also email me directly. A couple of ways to do that. I, of course, host the Jimmy Sangenberger Show every Saturday morning from 6 to 9 right here on 710KNUS. So if you go to the 710KNUS website, just add a .com at the end of that, you can email me via the Jimmy Sangenberger Show page again, 710KNUS.com. You can also get to me via my website, jimmysangenberger.com. Keep in mind, there's no A, I, or U in Sangenberger. It's all E's all the time. Once you know that, Sangenberger is easy. So what have we got coming up on the show today? Well, in the 9 o'clock hour, we'll be joined by Michael Fields of Advanced Colorado Institute to get his take on what's happening so far in a couple of big issues in the legislative session, which has just convened in the past several days down at the state capitol. The General Assembly back to do its mischief, make no mistake, it's mischief. I mean, we've heard about the gun control efforts now embarked upon by the left. There's more that's coming up in this session that is deeply concerning. We will talk about some issues, get you up to speed at just after nine o'clock with Michael Fields. We'll also be joined here in the next segment by Josh Hammer. He, He is the opinion editor at Newsweek, and we will talk about the big news yesterday that Joe Biden, well, really in the last couple of days and yesterday it heated up, that Joe Biden had classified documents that were held at the University of Pennsylvania. And, I mean, this is something that ain't a good luck for a president right now, who has an administration going after a former president for something very, very similar. We will talk about that story, plus what's next for the House GOP with Josh Hammer. And by the way, if you think Newsweek, Newsweek's opinion section is part of the left-wing ecosystem, that's certainly not the case. Josh Hammer is decidedly on the right. You'll definitely enjoy conversation with Josh coming up in, oh, just a little bit here 
on 710KNUS. Plus, we'll dive more into the Biden story. We'll talk about what's happening in the legislature. We've got just a slew of stories. There is so much going on right now that it's hard to figure out what to narrow it down to. You know, that's just the way things are. But there is one story we can absolutely narrow things down to, and that is hundreds of flights grounded nationwide after the Federal Aviation Administration experiences a computer outage. Reading now from Fox Business, the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration is suffering a nationwide technical outage and ordered airlines to pause all domestic departures until 9 a.m. Eastern Time Wednesday morning. The outage comes as a result of the failure of the FAA's NOTAM, that would be Notice to Air Missions System, which alerts pilots and other personnel about airborne issues and other delays at airports across the country. The NOTAM outage continued with no current estimated time of restoration, the FAA website said Wednesday morning. The FAA is working to restore its Notice to Air missions system. We are performing final validation checks and repopulating the system now, the FAA said in a statement, which continued, while some functions are beginning to come back online, national airspace system operations remain limited. Most airlines had already chosen to ground their own craft due to the system's failure early Wednesday, reports Fox Business. The failure has so far resulted in some 400 canceled flights across the U.S., according to FlightAware. The tracker also showed that more than 1,150 flights within, into, or out of the U.S. were delayed. United Airlines announced its decision to ground all of its craft until 10 a.m. Eastern Time due to the outage. And one more note from the article here. The incident comes roughly a week after an air traffic issue prompted the FAA to slow all flight traffic from in Florida earlier in January. That failure involved the unroute automation modernization at airports across the state. The White House Press Secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, has tweeted out the following about 20 minutes ago. The president has been briefed by the Secretary of Transportation this morning on the FAA system outage. There is no evidence of a cyber attack at this point, but the president directed DOT, Department of Transportation, to conduct a full investigation into the causes. The FAA will provide regular updates. And since we're going through statements, why not get to this text from Alexa that came in before we even went out of the air, rightly uh, thinking that we would cover this in the show. I wonder if Pete Buttigieg, that is the Department of Transportation's head, Mr. Secretary himself, has been enlightened yet about the computer outage grounding all U.S. flights for the first time since 9-11. I would not be shocked if we are told Pete is on vacation. Biden sure has picked a lot of inept people who suck during crisis situations. Well, we can at least say that Pete Buttigieg is on top of it, right? Because he has briefed President Biden. At least we know he's aware At least we know he's cognizant. 
He, they haven't said he's on vacation, but yes, he's not exactly the best secretary of transportation. I think I should bring Billy in on this conversation. I mean, this, especially we're coming fresh off the holidays. Thankfully, this didn't happen during the holidays. But we're talking, Billy, about a significant outage here, grounding all domestic flights across the country until at least 7 a.m. Mountain Time. That would be 9 a.m. Eastern Time. And you got to wonder what's causing this and also wonder what we're in store for in the future, given all the technology that is increasingly being used to help streamline and ideally make more efficient, not necessarily working so well, the uh, air transportation system in this country. I I just want to know, have they tried turning it off and turning it back on? That sounds uh, like a basic know. first step. Yeah, I, I just want to know. I'm not sure. I just want to know if Buttigieg has suggested that yet. Just and maybe have you turned it off, turn it back on. I I just want to know how long did it take them to uh, get a hold of the IT guys, and did the IT guys sigh and roll their eyes like every time I contact them? I'm just wondering if it's like, uh, fine, I will do this. Um, realistically, this to me is just a symptom of outdated technology, and we do know that the FAA and other airlines deal with outdated technology and do not uh, spend time, especially you know, government-related agencies, are lax at making sure they upgrade their computer systems and technical systems all the time, that they're always operating mm-hmm. on the leading ed- edge of technology, especially um, the government has this idea that, hey, if it's working, let's keep using it. There are some computer programs that our government uses that are wildly out of date. Uh, kids would look at them and go, this is stupid. Um, and so I think this is just a symptom of that problem. We do not want to invest money into making sure our technology like this is always up to date and working. And this is just a functionality issue. I'm surprised it honestly doesn't happen more often, given how old some of these systems are. But that's what I think it is. We've got to decide whether or not we want to upgrade systems like this and make them more modern. Um, currently, the answer is no. So, so you, this is what's going to happen. You suspect, and and there's no basis. Yeah, uh, this is why, but but it's even being preempted by the press secretary. There is no evidence of a cyber attack at this point. There certainly will be minds that will go in that direction because of the kind of outage that this is, because of how significant it is, and because I'm unaware of, like Alexa was saying, any instance since 22 years ago almost that we had all domestic flights grounded for one reason or another. Yeah, see, the thing for me is that if it is a cyber attack, where's the touchdown dance? Where's the celebration? Mm -hmm. This is the kind of thing that is so large you want to brag. If you as a group or an individual have the ability to pull this off, you want to tell everybody about it because that is going to raise your your gravitas inside of that social media dark web world. So the fact that we haven't seen someone come out and say, Mwahahaha, I have grounded the American flight system. No one's done that. So for me, Mm -hmm. it tends to lead me down the, the path of technical issue because inept again, government yeah, exactly inept government yeah. that refuses to modernize surprise. its systems yeah. fully yeah. when we're talking i mean look if anybody has done domestic travel recently it is not 
a walk in the park. It has been extraordinarily difficult, especially for passengers on certain airlines like Southwest Airlines, where there's just been so much headache going on. And then the government can't get it right. It's just like, is there any aspect of the air transport system in this country that's actually doing a half decent job that actually can get from get us from point A to point B and maybe on to point C or D? Yeah. I mean, remember, if you are concerned or you're questioning, was this a large cyber attack or was this the failure of a computer system that is outdated and probably not updated as much as it should? Ask yourself this question that our government is, is going through. When you go flying, 20 years ago, we had a guy try to light his shoes on fire. 20 years later, you're still taking off your shoes. It shows you how quickly our government adapts. Also, remember, uh, when you go through the security area, we don't have these, like, you know, um, we don't have these modern body scanning machines or anything else or, or things that smell chemicals or, or can look at the, you know, the actual molecular structure of liquids. No, we've got a wand and a person that goes whoop, 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 around you. Yeah, thank you. That again, 20-year-old technology. Okay, so the government isn't operating on the cutting edge of what is available. Yeah, so I mean, the most logical explanation Nine times out of ten, when it involves government, at least nine times out of ten, is they're incompetent. Yes, exactly. And they're not. And but but you also have a secretary of transportation who I don't know what your impression is, Bill, but Pete Buttigieg seems completely in over his head in DOT and incapable of doing the job in even any half decent way. Whether you listen to him talk about it. Or you see the fa- the the way in which he's using chartered private jets as opposed to going on public air- airlines and claiming it's more cost effective and so forth. And then he says, um, you know, then we have all these transportation issues that keep coming up. The guy's just not on the ball in that sort of position, way in over his head. I I don't think. Well, for me, um, Buttigieg's appointment to Department of Transportation was a thank you for moving out of the way during the primaries from Biden, uh, that it was going to try to Agreed. give him some national bona fides in order to allow him to be a reputable candidate next time around. But they kept him away from the very powerful positions. Mm-hmm. He's with transportation, and he's not doing a good job of it. I, I will say that when he's interviewed in his front-facing persona – is good. He is better on the mic and in an interview situation than the vast majority of the people inside of the White House. Doesn't mean he knows what he's talking about. Right. It's just that his presentation and how he sits on camera and what he understands and how he interacts with the interviewer is fantastic. He does that really, really well. But it is obvious that transportation is not something that is in his wheelhouse, nor would I think that it was something that he was even interested in. I don't get the I don't get the impression that uh, young, yeah. young Petey uh, had like a train set or, <laughs> or had something where he had a racetrack or he had a no. lot of Hot Wheels. Well, I, I just don't get that impression you, because he's not looking at it from some of these basic problems great that we point. have in transportation. But one thing that you're hitting on, though, is he was given this position so that he could boost his profile, sort of get, get a little credit after running for office. Um, he's somebody the Democrats sort of view as a potential rising star. And he's given this job that's seemingly innocuous, but ends up being far more problematic over the last couple of years 
than you know you might otherwise expect it so it ain't working out so well as they had anticipated for me it's just uh kamala harris's vp part two because that's the same thing I, yes I'm, I'm certain i'm convinced that the democrats picked kamala harris because they thought that she was going to be a minority woman and she was going to be able to be viewed as biden's right hand and she was going to get in wrestling parlance she was going to get the rub she was going to get any good feelings and then she was going to be positioned to run after him and that thankfully mm. has deflated like an old balloon so yeah uh one quick thing before we run to our break, Alexa texting in about where she works, that they had hired a few cybersecurity analysts a few years ago. They had been working for the state of Colorado. They told horror stories about the state's antiquated computer systems. We were not shocked at the Colorado unemployment system debacle and all the fraud during 2021. Just another example of inept computer uh, failure of government inept failure of government to update their computers and make sure that the technology is something that is viable, especially in this day and age. Thank you for that contribution because it's yet another reminder of why government almost universally sucks. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger filling in for George Brockler. We're going to take a break. When we come back, We'll be joined by Josh Hammer, opinion editor at Newsweek, host of the Josh Hammer Show podcast, to dive in to what's happening with Biden's classified documents and more. You don't want to miss this on the other side. Jimmy, in for George. News Talk 710 KNUS. All right, welcome back. Jimmy Sangenberger in for George Brockler this morning, 26 minutes after the hour. Good to be with you. News Talk 710-KNUS. Phone lines will be open soon enough at 303-696-1971. But oh my goodness, I rather like how the Wall Street Journal's editorial begins with this one. Whatever gods are scripting America's political dramas these days, they sure do have a sense of humor. On Monday, CBS broke the news that days before the midterm elections, roughly 10 documents with classification markings were found among Joe Biden's vice presidential files in a private office he once used. A federal prosecutor is investigating and the FBI is involved. Not even George Santos could make up this plot twist. The documents discovered in Mr. Biden's possession include intelligence memos and briefing materials that cover topics including Ukraine, Iran and the United Kingdom. CNN reports now in a summit in Mexico with his counterparts for Mexico and Canada. Biden was directly asked about this situation, and here is the answer he gave. People know I take classified uh, documents and classified information seriously. When my lawyers were clearing out my office at the University of Pennsylvania, they set up an office for me, secure office in the Capitol, when I, the four years after being vice president, I was a professor at Penn. Uh, they found some documents in a box, you know, locked cabinet, or at least a closet. And as soon as they did, they realized there were several classified documents in that box. And they did what they should have done. 
they immediately call the archives, immediately call the archives, turn them over to the archives, and I was briefed about this discovery and surprised to learn that there were any government records that were taken there to that office. But I don't know what's in the documents. I've, my lawyers have not suggested I ask what documents they were. I've turned over the boxes. They've turned over the boxes to the archives, and we're cooperating fully, cooperating fully with the review, and which I hope will be finished soon, and uh, there will be more detail at that time. He's cooperating fully. He didn't know what the documents entail. Just don't worry about it. And any comparisons, by the way, to Donald Trump and Mar-a-Lago and so forth, I don't even think about that. What are we to make of all this? Let's talk about it and break it down with Josh Hammer. He is the opinion editor at Newsweek, as well as the host of the Josh Hammer Show podcast, joining us this morning. Good morning, my friend. How are you? Jimmy, I'm doing great. Always a pleasure to join you. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you here. So let's just start, since I set it up, with the clip from Biden. I mean, what do you make of that answer, and what do we know at this point? I mean, it's not like this was something that wasn't known before the election, right? Right. So from my perspective, that what you just said right there is actually probably the single biggest takeaway from this. I mean, we now know the timeline here, and this happened about a week or so or just under a week before the 2022 midterm elections in early November. Why was this not out there? I mean, why did this information not get out there? You know, if you think back to the 2016 presidential election, you know, Jim Comey famously did end up uh, – or he ended up not prosecuting Hillary Clinton due to her quote-unquote extreme carelessness or whatever was the fabricated, you know, faux criminal language that he came up with in the summer of 2016. But towards the end of that presidential election cycle in late October, I think it was – he actually ended up sharing some news that was damaging to Hillary Clinton. So if you if you go from then to now, what changed? I mean, like, why did the FBI feel comfortable divulging certain information that was favorable or disfavorable to certain political candidates directly on the precipice of a monumental election six years ago? But now that they're hiding the ball. So the effect there is only to further sow distrust, is to further so distrust for the law enforcement agencies, which are already very much under fire for the new House Republican majority in Congress when it comes to the FBI, DOJ and all of that. And obviously the media as well. This appears to be a huge media cover up. So I guess from my perspective, that is the single biggest takeaway. But you know, the other obvious takeaway, Jimmy, is just the blatant hypocrisy of this. It's just the galling hypocrisy of this, given how much the Democrat media complex, as the late great Andrew Breitbart referred to it, how much the Democrat media complex has just droned on and on and on about Mar-a-Lago and the classified document and this long-running dispute and the litigation, the lawsuits, all of it pertaining to for- former President Donald Trump, when it appears that Joe Biden did something a heck of a lot similar here. So, you know, just shocking hypocrisy right in the open. Perhaps that is probably the reason why the law enforcement agencies and the media did not end up sharing this information on the precipice of the election, because they probably wanted the midterm election to be a referendum on President Trump. But that was the Democrats' best political option from this midterm all along. And I think their hand would have been undermined if they had let leak the fact that this had happened at the Penn Biden Center or whatever the fancy uh, bureaucratic name is for that particular for that particular boondoggle. 
But it's not good. I mean, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. It's, it's not a, a pleasant feeling to try to look at this. And I thought Biden's answer that we heard in the clip there was pretty unavailing. So in that regard, though, of course, the Biden folks will say that he turned over the documents, and this is something Biden stressed in the clip we just played, within 24 hours, as soon as they found him, they were like, okay, we need to get these documents back, whereas that wasn't the case for President Trump. You had for over a year, you had them remain in Mar-a-Lago, and then eventually you had them through the whole debacle down there uh, returned to for the National Archives. So is that... An argument that will fit, especially given when we talk about the legal aspects here, will that work? Or is that a dog that won't hunt? Is that viable? What do you think? So, look, these two situations obviously are not identical to the T. There are you know different kind of facts, not just this fact, but also the fact that I think that the actual sheer volume of documents that was allegedly uncovered in Biden's case, was lower than the sheer number of documents uncovered at Mar-a-Lago. But there is one massive, massive thing that we have to note here. And that is the fact that President Trump was the president of the United States. Joe Biden was not. And, you know, Jimmy, as as you probably recall, I'm actually a constitutional law guy by background here. So I can tell you without, you know, any shred of equivocation, the very straightforward takeaway from Article 2 of the Constitution, which is that the executive power of the United States is vested in the president of the United States alone, not the vice president, but the president alone. What does that mean in this particular context? Well, it means that the president alone has the power to classify or declassify any documents he wants at effectively any time whatsoever. That is very much embodied, is inherent in the executive power that the Constitution vests in the president exclusively. So Joe Biden did not have that. The vice president does not have that power. The president does. So that is a that is a massive, massive takeaway. Uh, I think it's a very, very key distinction here. But, you know, sure. I, I mean, if we take Biden at his word, and to be clear, I have no particular reason for doubting the veracity of this particular claim, although obviously Joe Biden has a very long and and colorful track record, shall we say, of of fabricating, extrapolating, and sometimes just making a lot of crap up, to be pretty blunt. But uh, if we take him at his word here, then it seems that he did the right thing in returning those documents to the National Archives. But it's very, very important just to bear in mind that, you know, I want the listeners of this program to bear in mind here that he did not have the power to make classification decisions on a whim President Trump did. Yeah, again, Josh Hammer, our guest, opinion editor at Newsweek. One thing that's been kind of puzzling to me, because my understanding is exactly as you described. I've heard other lawyers talk about how the president has that authority to do so unilaterally in terms of declassifying documents, something Biden did not. Although it doesn't seem like Trump's lawyers have brought that up in court, that they've actually presented that argument in his legal case up till now. And I, I don't quite understand why that is, if it is in fact the case, as I have believed and you are just describing here, Josh, that the president has the unilateral authority to declassify documents. Well, you, you know, look, I, I, President Trump, whatever, for, for whatever reason, you know, it's a very complicated timeline. I mean, mm-hmm. I think, you know, the, the ongoing back and forth, the, the colloquy between Mar-a-Lago and the archives and DOJ started like last May or last June. And 
you know, I, I mean, it seems like probably both sides of this is my my rough takeaway from this story for months now is that both sides probably could have handled it better. I continue to think that the raid of Mar-a-Lago in August was a crossing of the Rubicon that the American Republic will probably never get back. I mean, just these shocking, galling images of the blaring police sirens and the feds going into the home of former president. Just awful, awful, awful stuff here. But... You know, one other takeaway that I do have Mm -hmm. from this this Biden news is I do think that the the, the sheer fact that this has now gotten out, thanks to the reporting, I believe, was of CBS News earlier this week. If anything, I I, you know, it might not uh, it might not lessen or decrease the likelihood that Merrick Garland special counsel ultimately indicts President Trump on some sort of charge pertaining to the retention of these documents. But. What it might do, and I'm cautiously optimistic that it would do, is increase the likelihood of sustained political blowback because of of this point about hypocrisy. So they were able basically to kind of clamp down and hide this story on the precipice of the election. But now that it's out there, you know, we can see with our own eyes the just galling hypocrisy. And, you know, again, as you said, that there, there, there are some differences in the specific kind of factual minutia of these two situations. But from a broader kind of 35,000 foot altitude perspective here, it appears there is some some severe hypocrisy. Yeah, I, I think the one thing to me is the big picture issue here, because I, I think there are some some minutia issues and there are some substantive differences between the two scenarios. But when it comes to politics, when it comes to the understanding of something like classified documents being uncovered at a university where your question is, how do these even end up here, et cetera, whereas there's a difference between that and going and being stored by the president of the United States. Uh, you know, I certainly think that that brings into the popular discussion that bigger question of hypocrisy. But I want to play a quick clip and get your reaction here, Josh Hammer. Uh, this is I just found really interesting. Joy Behar over on The View was arguing why Biden should be given the benefit of the doubt. And her explanation why is rather interesting. She just said, as yeah. right, that, yeah. that there are differences in what happened. Yes. But you know, it's not good. Well, we all know that Trump is a liar and a thief. You know, we know that. So it's not that big a jump to say that he obstructed and he lied. We don't think that Biden is a liar and a thief, so we give him the benefit of the doubt. That's partly what's going on. But what I think also is going on, no matter what the truth of it is, Whoopi, they will spin it, Bubblehead and Marjorie Taylor and that crowd, Matt Gates. You think they're not going to spin this that is just as bad as Trump? And so the, the lie gets out there. People believe it, just like that Donaldson person, whatever his name is. Byron. What's his name? Byron, Byron Donalds. Mm. I saw him also. He was at the, uh, the fight on the floor, too, yeah. wasn't he, he was nominated for speaker a number of people by two people. Yeah. He's the, uh, the new in darling. one of the 15 rounds. But, I mean, what I'm just saying is that the party. lying has been so invasive, mm-hmm. so ubiquitous mm-hmm. that no one will believe the truth anymore. And that, that you can put that at the at the feet of Donald Trump, who started the lying. Whoa, Josh Hammer. Did you know that Donald Trump started the lying, not Joe Biden, who, I don't know, ran for president in the 80s, giving speeches that were completely plagiarized and constantly for decades and decades making up stories? It's actually Donald Trump who began the lying of politicians. No politician and no president had ever lied before Donald Trump, not even Bill Clinton. You know, I would love to live in the world that Joe Behar lives in. I I mean, if I could, like, teletransport or something 
to the world where she lives in, where politicians are as clean as the pristine white snow in Colorado. You know, I would love to live in that world. But unfortunately, I live in reality, and I'm not sure what, what, what world <laughs> Joy, Joy Behar is living in. And I see politicians for who politicians have always been since time immemorial. I mean, this is literally woven into our constitutional structure. You can look at James Madison's writing in Federalist Number 51, one of the most very famous of the Federalist Papers, where he famously says that if, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, quote, if men were angels, no government would be necessary. Yeah, exactly. So our entire constitutional edifice, our entire structure is predicated upon the very self-evident axiomatic insight that men are not angels. And therefore, we devise political institutions, we devise checks and balances, separation of powers, federalism, and so forth, based on that underlying insight about human nature. And, you know, just to put, make this a little more concrete, you know, you mentioned Bill Clinton, which is obviously correct. I mean, you know, with, with, all, the, the, with all the drama with, with, his, with his perjury and the impeachment, I mean, the fact that he was disbarred as a result of his perjury and, and all of that. But you can go back to the election of 1800. You know, this is um, a very early election in the in the American Republic. It was between Thomas Jefferson and John Adams. You know, I would inc- I would encourage Joy Behar. I, I, I'm not particularly optimistic that she will take me up on this advice, but I would encourage her to go back and read some of the newspaper headlines, newspaper articles that were there between Jefferson's Democratic Republicans and Adams' Federal yes. Party. Yes, they. It, it was vicious. It was just. Really, really vicious stuff. All sorts of extrapolating me politely. I think lying would be a, probably a more straightforward way of saying it. So, right. you know, this is this has been American politics since time immemorial. Yeah, it's true. Now that doesn't excuse it in any way, shape, or form for any politicians, but it just helps to undercut the. Uh, I can't even call it an argument, but the absurdity that Jay, Joy Behar was presenting right there. A uh, Josh Hammer, opinion editor at Newsweek. We just got a, a few minutes left with you, and I want to ask you briefly. We had quite the fight on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives last week that ultimately ended up with Speaker Kevin McCarthy, which was what was anticipated beforehand, and then ultimately we had all this drama. Drama aside, although it helps to inform what's coming up, they just passed the rules package on Monday. They passed a bill to repeal the uh, law authorizing for the spending on 87,000 IRS agents. Where do you see this House GOP conference going moving forward? And will they be able to come together to thwart Democrat objectives and to advance a Republican agenda? So I'm cautiously optimistic because of the fact that Kevin McCarthy was forced to offer such dramatic concessions to Chip Roy and the various other conservative detractors. And, you know, among those concessions is a single member motion to vacate, which I'm sure you've discussed on your show, Jimmy, but the single, the the motion to vacate for 200 years of the American Republic, roughly before Nancy Pelosi tweaked it when she became House Speaker, effectively permitted a sole member of the U.S. House to call a chamber-wide referendum on whether the presiding House Speaker should be retained as a House Speaker. And Nancy Pelosi changed that to being a, a, a majority of the uh, a majority of the majority, if I recall. But one of the major concessions that Kevin McCarthy gave to his detractors last week was to restore the single-member motion to vacate. What that means is that if Kevin McCarthy messes up, if House GOP leadership messes up, 
including messes up on the various promises that they explicitly gave, such as kind of the 12 individual disparate appropriations packages to kind of get out of this omnibus $1.7 trillion boondoggle mindset. If McCarthy leadership fails to abide by the terms of that agreement, a single member can call for his removal. So, you know, there, there's real accountability here. That's basically kind of the bottom line that I'm, that I'm getting at here. So I'm cautiously optimistic that the agenda will be pursued. Obviously, the Democrats still control the Senate. So, you know, it's hard to be particularly optimistic when it comes to the prospects of passing meaningful legislation, at least from a conservative perspective. But at a bare minimum here, you know, I'm encouraged about what I see right out of the gate when it comes to kind of investigative and subpoena power. I, I'm a big skeptic of big tech power myself. It seems like the House Republican majority is, is very much going to be trying to expose the depth and breadth of the collusion mm -hmm. between the Biden regime and the big tech oligarchs there. So we'll see when it comes to that and when it comes to the 87,000 IRS agents. I, I'm cautiously optimistic right now, at least given what happened last week. Yeah, the, the one thing, and I'll ask you for a final thought on this, is I, I am, I agree with you. I'm, I'm optimistic about the things that have been put forward and the agenda here. But look, this is does at least seem to be a fractured caucus with very disparate interests occasionally coming up. And the question is, how rock-ribbed will the Republicans really be in holding the line enough, whereas you might have a group of moderates who could cross over and say, we're going to do something a little bit differently with the Democrats. I don't know how likely that is, probably not very likely. But as things progress, do you think the Republicans will hold the line, Josh Hammer? So, look, there are a lot of moderate Republicans in the House Republican caucus. There are, frankly, more moderate Republicans than there are genuinely conservative Republicans. That's kind of just an unfortunate reality yeah. of, of, of where we are. But and here's the key. But, you know, as gerrymandering for both sides all across the country, you know, uh, gets worse and worse or better and better, I guess, depending on, on your perspective, you, you find yourself with more solid Democrat and more solid Republican districts. So. Put another way, a lot of these very moderate Republicans who might on the merits be inclined to cut deals with Democrats still have to face voters back home that, that are going to be fairly red districts. And a lot of these moderates keep on getting reelected, of course, in these very red districts because of the power of incumbency and the purse and the various kind of packs and committees that support you. Lindsey Graham in South Carolina is kind of a perfect example of that, of course. But there's only so much. There's only so much that voters will put up with. And I think kind of crossing the line to actually work with Akeem Jeffries, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty big line that I yes. didn't actually expect a lot of moderates across. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're probably right on that score. And I certainly hope so. I'm encouraged by even just the talk, let alone the commitment to 12 separate appropriations bills, as opposed to another monstrous omnibus spending bill. It would be nice to get back to that old school way of doing appropriation spending the budgeting process like they are supposed to be doing it josh hammer opinion editor at newsweek host of the josh hammer show podcast always great to check in with you my friend happy new year and thanks for joining us today happy new year jimmy and really great to be with you always great once again josh hammer of newsweek the opinion editor there joining us here on the program jimmy sangenberger in for george brockler we're going to take a quick break we'll be back on the other side what are your thoughts 303-696-1971 is our telephone number we'll pick up the conversation on the other side news talk 710 knus
gotta love beautiful sax solo in the morning. Jimmy Sangenberger in for George Brockler, News Talk 710, KNUS 303-696-1971. Our telephone number, if you want to be a part of the program, we will talk more about the Biden classified documents and the revelations. Well, I wouldn't necessarily call them revelations so much as the justifications given by Joe Biden for having classified documents at an office, the University of Pennsylvania. Here's a little bit of that from yesterday. But I don't know what's in the documents. I've, my lawyers have not suggested I ask what documents they were. I've turned over the boxes. They've turned over the boxes to the archives. And we're cooperating fully, cooperating fully with the review, and which I hope will be finished soon. And uh, there will be more detail at that time. Guess what? Flashback 2018, Joe Biden says he didn't have access to classified documents. In 2018, Joe Biden addressed his access to classified information in an interview with me. This was in the context of Russia's interference in U.S. elections, and it was in that office, the Penn-Biden Center. I don't have access to classified information anymore. I don't get briefed every morning by the agency, as I did for eight years. So you could get into some of the nuance there, access to classified information in terms of briefings, but he also had classified documents in his office. Then let's go 2021. When you saw the photograph of the top secret documents laid out on the floor at Mar-a-Lago. What did you think to yourself, looking at that image? How that could possibly happen? How anyone could be that irresponsible? And I thought, what data was in there that may compromise sources and methods? By that I mean names of people who helped, or et cetera. And it's just uh, totally irresponsible. Totally irresponsible. What does this make Joe Biden seem like when these just randomly show up uh, within 10 days before the election? And yeah, they're turned over within 24 hours. That is a notable distinction, in fairness, to the Trump story with Mar-a-Lago. The lawyers had to deal with the FBI when the FBI showed up at Mar-a-Lago wanting these documents. But Biden had 10 classified documents that just randomly show up, the University of Pennsylvania, and that's not irresponsible? What in the world? We'll pick it up on the other side. 303-696-1971. Jimmy and for George, stay with us. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.